Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to James chapter 1. Many of our, well, some of our life groups, I should say, our dad's group and our student ministry groups have been going through the book of James, and uh, we have just been incredibly blessed by it. We've been going through it on... uh, Uh, in our life groups, but also with a Bible study by Francis Chan. And so I might refer to a few things that he says today. But um, uh, the whole book of James is about faith that is evidenced by action. Uh, It's very practical. Uh, And so I encourage you, if you don't have your Bible with you, to get on a phone and to be able to look along today as we look at James chapter 1. And uh, anybody get to go camping yet this, uh, this summer yet, this summer season? Anybody, any campers here? I know some of our students are on a camping trip. We're going to have a father and son camping trip at the end of uh, July and hoping to do a student camping trip in August. You may have heard uh, about when uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went camping for an evening. Uh, they went on a camping trip, and they, uh, after dinner and a bottle of wine, they laid down for the night, and they went to sleep. About a few hours later, Holmes awoke, and he nudged his faithful friend. He said, Watson, look up at the sky. Tell me what you see. Watson said, I see millions of stars. What does that tell you, Holmes said. Watson pondered for a minute. He said, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is probably about 15 minutes after three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we seem small and significant. Meteorologically, I I suspect that we'll have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? Holmes was silent for a moment, and then he he said, Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) I don't know if you feel like that sometimes, that sometimes it's so easy to get uh, wrapped up in all the things that are going around us that we miss the main thing. And uh, this morning, we're going to be asking the question, how do you respond to God's word? Uh, Some of us, we we forget the main point of the Bible, and we get lost in uh, what this says, what that says, what this says. The main point of the Bible is is for God to reveal himself to us and to transform us so that we can be agents through which he transforms the world. And so I think when we lose sight of that, we get, we get, we get things really mixed up and we miss the obvious. And so um, uh, it's, uh, that's kind of what we're going to look at today in the book of James. Uh, in chapter 1 here, James uh, has spent the first 21 verses teaching us what it means to have a relationship with God and to live it out. And he said something very radical in, chapter, in verse 2 or 3. He said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials. And the reason he says that is because he says, you know, you need to let perseverance finish its work. The purpose of life on earth is not happiness, it's holiness. And so he challenges his readers to, to think differently. And his readers were, it was, it were, were the churches that were scattered. They were being persecuted. And they were, they had, in Acts chapter 8, they had all come together, but because of the persecution, they, they left Jerusalem and they went to different places. And so he's writing this book to a lot of churches who are dealing with infighting. They're dealing with what does it look like to have a church in a different culture? Um, and how do, I do, how do I live out my faith when I'm being persecuted? Is there a God when things go wrong? And so he challenges them with that, and he, and he says, you know, uh, ask God for wisdom when you're going through trials. Don't, uh, don't doubt when you ask. Have faith. 
And he says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial in verse 12. And then he gets, he says, you know, when you're being tempted, don't blame God. And he gives an understanding of where temptation comes from. It comes from our evil desires. And then in verse 18, in 16, 17, and 18, he says, don't be deceived. Even though sin looks good, every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. And he will provide what's good for you. And then look at verse 18. He says, God the Father chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And so he's talking there about how the word of God, which is the gospel, has been birthed in us and has caused us to be born again and become new people. He's telling the people who are scattered and being persecuted, these Christians, he's saying, you know what? You're not the same person because of the word of truth. And then he goes 19 through 27, and he kind of talks about our relationship with God's word. And I'll be honest with you. I, we did several life groups this past spring and with these passages, and especially verses 19 to 21. And I never saw the connection that I did until this week between God's word and, uh, and, ver and, and this whole passage. So let's take a look at it. I want you to read along with me if you can um, silently, and I'll, uh, I'll read it. It says in verse 19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now check out verse 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Lord, I, we pray that as we get into this passage that your Holy Spirit would show us um, specifically more of who you are and that you would move our hearts to respond to what you are doing and that we would receive your word and respond to it so that we can reveal who you are to this lost world. Lord, thank you for giving us your truth. Thank you for giving us Jesus, Lord. Guide us as we go through this sermon today. In Christ's name, amen. Our big idea this morning is our relationship with the word impacts or shapes the impact that we have on the world. You might be looking around at our culture and all the things that have happened in the past six months and say, what is going on? And I know some of us put on our political glasses and we say, oh, it's about the election year. It's an election year, you know. And that obviously has something to do with it. But actually, Scripture speaks very poignantly to what's happening. When God's people abandon the vulnerable 
and the least of these, and we abandon our mission to be light and salt, darkness reigns. Anger takes over. And that's what we're seeing here. Got a good quote from you going back to scene. We're uh, currently with our student ministry. We're doing uh, worldviews. We're actually doing five reasons why you can believe that Christianity is true. And uh, we gave students an acronym this week. It's called J.B. Wiener. J.B. Wiener. J-B-W-E-N-R. And uh, the first one is Jesus, the, the person of Christ. The second one is the Bible, the historical and dur durability of the Bible. The W is worldviews. Uh, e is experience. And N and R are nature and reason. I won't get into all of those, but I want to focus on worldviews because everyone has a worldview. Um, and everyone sees a, a pair, through a pair of glasses. And some of us, we put on our political glasses when we see everything. Some of us put on our emotional glasses. We've been hurt. And so the way we perceive God is maybe distant or we're angry at him or we're upset. Some of us have, we have lots of different glasses that we wear. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, when we find ourselves deficient in wisdom, it is not because the word of God has pages missing, but because we have not seen all there is on the pages we have. It's not another book we need, but better attention to the book we have. It's not more knowledge we require, but better vision to see what has already been revealed in Jesus Christ. I think some of us, this, this passage challenges us not to just be people who study the Bible. And so my big idea this morning is our relationship with the word impact, shapes our impact in the world. Some of you are going to be like, oh, yeah, he just wants us to do more Bible study, you know, and be more involved. No, it's not about that. It's about what we do with the word and what the word does in us. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. Now, let me define what I mean by the word. I said the word of truth Again, verse 18 is, the, is, is kind of pushing this. He says, in, in some versions, it says, therefore, in verse 19, or, or whatsoever, because of this, take note. Verse 18 says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. The word of truth is God's living word and the gospel what, which, by which Christ transforms us. So when, Peter's, when, when James is talking about the, um, the word, he's not just talking about the, uh, your, you know, the Bible in and of itself. He has this idea that it's the Bible, but it's the living word of God. It's not just like studying a history book or a moralistic book. It's a book that's alive. It's a letter from God. And the word of truth is the gospel. The gospel is, is that Christ came and died and rose again for our sins and that we're sinners. And so what he's saying is, is that that's what transforms us. It's not about just going to a Bible study. It's about receiving the word. The word and the spirit in the, in the New Testament and the Old Testament are always together. They always work together. You've heard of this before. If you're too filled with the word and not the spirit, you're going to dry up. You ever heard that? Or if, you're too, if, you too, if you emphasize too much on the spirit of God and not the word, you'll blow up, <laughs> you know, with emotion. And I, and I understand why people say that because there are churches that overemphasize the, the, the gifts of the spirit and they sometimes are not grounded in the word. And then there's others, other churches that are so like into the word, uh, that, but they neglect the work of the spirit in, in, in our lives. Um, but you know what? Biblically, there's no distinction. They work together. They work together, the word and the spirit. And so the word of truth is God's living word and the gospel that transforms us. And the world is, uh, is, 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 the world is broken, desperate, and hurting. For God so loved the world. John 3.16, you know it? For God so loved the world. 
that he gave his one and only son. Take a moment and just breathe that in for a moment. The world that you see on your TV and in the city streets and people pulling down these statues and burning and doing that, for God so loved the world. God loves everyone. You know, a lot of us know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, that he gave his one and only son that who, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. But who knows John 3.17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We got our dog with us today. He comes to these drive-in services. Some of you know him. He's Coconut. Uh, I think he's over there hiding underneath the car right now with, 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 with Debbie. But uh, Coconut, when he was first in our, introduced into our lives, uh, had a problem, and that was called marking, and marking in the house. There's another word for marking, which I'm, I'm probably going to have to say in a moment. But, um, yeah, he would do that. And what we were told to do was to, when he does that, to take him over there and say, hey, no. No marking or we use no pee-pee in the house. <laughs> and uh, and, and kind of like to train him to do that. And uh, to this day, if I walk in and I say, did you go pee-pee in the house? He will run underneath a couch and hide. He will be so happy to see us when we come home. But as soon as I say pee-pee in the house, sorry for if that's a little bit uh, off color here, but he will hide even if he hasn't done anything. You know, and I was thinking about that. Some of us are like that with God. We think God is out to get us. And so whenever somebody says, hey, open up the Bible, read the Bible during the week, spend time with the Lord, we automatically think that he's going to condemn us. And that's why I like John 3, 17. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn us. He's not out to get you. Okay. He, he came into the world to save us. I'm not trying to condemn or hurt coconut. <laughs> um, really, I'm trying to help him make it a safe and clean environment for all of us. But what is your attitude towards God? So that's, that's kind of where we're going to start. All right, let's jump into this. Number one, how we receive the word. This week, I, was, uh, I, I caught on the bottom of one of the ESPN things that David Tyree just um, left the New York Giants. And I'm like, dude, he's been gone for five years, hasn't he? He's like, no. They're like, no, he's been, on, he's been working for the New York Giants football team for five years. They said, well, why? Because he's famous for a famous reception. Remember that one? Remember in the Super Bowl against the Patriots where he leans back and he just with one hand catches that ball? It was an amazing catch. It was a glorious moment for those of us who were happy to see the Patriots lose. Um, but he caught it. And uh, that, that led, you know, so they hired him. The Giants would not let him go because of that. And, and finally this week, he, he decided to part ways. Um, receiving, as a receiver receives the ball, how we receive the word. That's what verses 19 to 21 is. You know, in football, if you run out of bounds and you try to come back in and catch a pass, you're out of bounds. You're not going to catch it, okay? If you're not even on the football field, you're not going to catch the ball, <laughs> you know? And if you're covered, you're not going to catch it either. It's going to be very hard to go up and catch that unless you're David Tyree. So the first thing we want to look at is verses 19 to 21, how we receive the word. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Okay. Now, I always interpreted that as, you know, that's just great advice for anybody anywhere, right? 
in any type of relationship. We should all be more. I mean, when it comes to this whole thing that's going on in our culture, we should be listening to other people, quick to listen, slow to speak. On social media, some of us are quick to say things all the time and quick to get angry, slow to get angry. But the context here is how we receive the word, okay? We should be quick to listen to it. That's why Jesus said, he, uh, listen to me truly, truly. He who hears my word. There's a difference to, to, from just being hearing it and actually listening to it. We should be slow to speak and slow to get angry. Proverbs 14 says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. We should be slow to get angry. That word there for anger is not the word that you would think it is. I would think it's like, oh, we shouldn't be quick to blow up, right? You know, have these fits of, of rage, a temper. No, it's actually uh, the word orge, which is a slow burning, res bitter resentment. Okay. It's a, it's a resentment that build, uh, builds over time, and uh, it's very uh, detrimental. Uh, marriage counselors have said that almost anything, they can look at almost any problem in a marriage and say, you know what, that's, we're over, that's overcomable, but contempt is not. Uh, a couple was driving down a country road for several miles, not saying a word. There was anger. There was resentment. An earlier discussion had led to an argument. Neither of them would concede their position. As they passed a barnyard of mules, goats, and pigs, the husband said, asked sarcastically, relatives of yours? Yep, the wife replied, in-laws. That's, that's a typical example of how we deal with that. We, most of the sitcoms we watch take off this idea of, of, of you know, putting each other down and resentment. And uh, I want to say something to that. Um, the Bible says God is slow to anger. And if you read scripture and you want to know how God describes himself the most in scripture, it's Exodus 34, which is repeated like several times uh, several times in, in, in the Old Testament, it says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. This was to Moses, who said, Show me your glory. He said, The Lord, the Lord God, comp the compa is compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger, and abounding in for loving kindness and truth. And it says it over again in Numbers, Nehemiah, Nahum, Jonah, Joel, Psalm, Psalm several times. One of the definitions or characteristics of God is that he is slow to to anger. He is not resentful towards you. He doesn't harbor up bitterness like you and I do towards each other. And what I think Paul, uh, James is getting at is here, and this is a lot for us. Some of you have been asking God for something and he hasn't given it to you. And you know what happens when you don't get what you want, right? You start to get resentful and bitter. And I think this is, for, for a lot of us, this keeps us from receiving the word of God. We don't want to get involved in a Bible study. We don't want to open up the Bible because the bottom line is, is we're very angry and resentful because God hasn't done something or maybe he has allowed something that we're not happy about. And so what he's saying here is be quick to listen. Listen to God. Know his character. Be slow to speak. Be slow to get angry. For man's anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. What does accomplish the righteousness of God? Jesus, the gospel. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law and he fulfilled all righteousness. We can't do it. 
God, Jesus satisfied God's wrath. That's the gospel. And so then look at what he says in verse 21. He says, okay, therefore, because of that, because anger does not work, when you stay angry, it ends up, you know, it's okay to be angry. It's a natural human emotion. We should get angry at the injustice. Don't get me wrong. Jesus got angry. But it, the Bible over and over again says, don't stay angry. And this type of anger is the worst type of anger because it's that resentment and bitterness. Hebrews 12 talks about a bitter root coming up and it'll defile many. Okay? And so what do we do? Well, it says, look at verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Uh, I live with two teenage daughters, and they have long hair. And they like to wash their hair a lot. And they like to take showers. Anybody know somebody like that? Yeah, <laughs> I saw that hand. All right. Um, and you know what happens in the shower with hair and, and the pipe? It gets clogged. Yeah. And so, you know, they sell these things where you could put things in, in in the drain pipe to collect the hair and then you're supposed to empty it. But if your teenage girls are in charge of the shower, are they going to actually man that thing and empty it every day? No, they just kind of toss it out. So what, is, what ends up happening is dad has to go in and, you know, unclog the drain <laughs> because it can't receive the water and it starts getting backed up. And they always wait until it's like super late. Like it's already been like there's, there's a point where you're taking a shower and like the water comes up to your ankles. How many of you have had that happen before? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of our nature, isn't it? Well, that's kind of what, what the, the analogy I want you to see here, what, what, what God is saying, what James is saying here. He's saying, in order for you to receive what I have for you, the cleansing word of truth, you need to get the, the drain pipes unclogged. And he's speaking to Christians here. He's not saying to non-Christians, yeah, you need to go clean yourself up and, and, and become perfect and then, I'll, then you can have me. No, he's saying to Christians, you know what? There's a lot of things that are keeping you from receiving my word. Remember the parable of, of the sower, Mark 4, where he sows the seed on the different types of ground? That's the same word here where he says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which is able to save you. The, the ground represents our hearts. And he says, you know, there's some people who receive the word at first with joy. Wow, I'm shaking this thing. That's cool. Wow, that's fun. All right. Um, I won't shake too hard. And he says, he says, you know, receive the word, but because they don't have root, when the sun comes out, they fall away. Or because there's thorns, they get, it gets choked. And that's what he's referring to, I believe, here in James. He's saying, you know what? There's a lot of moral filth and there's a lot of evil that's very prevalent in your life. And, you know, you say, well, Tony, what does this mean for me? So, ask this question. How much time do you spend watching the news, following all the stuff that's going on in the media, and in allowing that to fill your heart and your mind versus how much time you're spending in God's word and with his people. Because if you're constantly in all that stuff, what it's going to do is it, 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 and many times it's just going to clog up, especially if you're, if you're joining in it, whether it be the anger or the cynicism or the immorality or the debauchery or the swearing or whatever. So he says, get rid of it and humbly accept the word planted in you. So how do we receive the word? With humility, recognizing that we need God and we're allowing it to soak in. See, you and I can go to Bible studies all day and we can hear sermon after sermon after sermon and say, yeah, that was right, that was good. He needed to hear that, <laughs> you know? But that's not with humility. 
it, he says, humbly accept the word which was planted in you. And it's, it's the idea of ongoing planting. God is trying to do something and grow something in our hearts. And this, this word is the word of God that saves you. If you want a reference here, write down uh, 1 Peter 1, 23 and 22. He says, you have not been, you've been born again of an imperishable seed. And you've not been born of a perishable, but of a, he says that God's word is the, is the instrument through which he, you were been born again. And then look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this, the attitude we're to have towards God's word is we crave it, we desire it, we humbly accept it. So important. You guys ever heard the story of the monkey and the coconut? Uh, many trappers in Africa have used this to trap monkeys. What they do is they take a coconut and they hollow it out on the inside, but they leave a little hole just big enough to get the monkey's hand in it. And then they put up a, a smashed up banana or an orange in there, unpeeled, in the coconut. So the, the monkey smells it and he goes in there and he grabs the coconut and the coconut is kind of attached to something and, uh, and so he grabs the coconut and then he goes inside and he grabs the orange or the banana and he wants to pull it out, but he can't. And, uh, and so they come and then they, they, they capture the, the monkey. Now all the, all the coconut has, to, all the monkey has to do is let go and then his hand could come out. But because he wants that orange and that banana so badly, he doesn't. So he just kind of keeps pulling and, 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 the, and, and all he has to do is let go. Let me ask you a question. What is something that God might be saying to you today? Let go. I, I have something better for you. It's a trap. Sin looks good. And the devil even tempted Jesus and made it look good. But how did, how did Jesus defeat the devil? The word of God. He quoted the word of God. All right, let's go to number two. How do we... Not, how we receive the word depends on, will, will directly shape how we respond to it, okay? So look at uh, verse 22. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Three times in James 1, he says, don't deceive yourself. Don't be deceived. You're fooling yourself. He says, anyone who's a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who looks intently into the mirror and then forgets what he looks like and goes, and goes away and does nothing, Okay. And it's a powerful analogy. How we receive the word shapes how we respond to the word. Okay? You can sit in sermons. You can hear Bible studies. I'll be honest with you. Uh, the, the study that we're doing right now at Francis Chan, at the end of it, it gives us practical live it outs that we can do, five or six. And every week I ask my dad, the dads and, we, and the students, I say, okay, let's all pick one and let's do it. And then we come back the next week and we're like, did you do it? <laughs> you know, and somehow we forget, you know. Um, Pastor Dell's message last week to fathers and to all of us, to love, to lead, to live, okay. Um, you know, we forget. We forget. Do we, do we put anything into practice? And James is saying here it's useless. In fact, his, his first point is this. Uh, hearing without doing leads to despair and deception, if you're constantly hearing the word of God and not doing anything about it, you're actually in some ways in a worse position than the person who hears, doesn't hear it. I had a pastor who used to say this. He used to say the most dangerous place to be on Sunday morning is in, is in church. 
And we said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, because you're hearing God's word, you're going to be held accountable for it. That's pretty strong. And I think if we're all honest, including pastors, including myself, we can get into this rut where we're constantly messing around with God's word, hearing it, listening to it in songs, playing it, but not actually doing it. And that leads to despair and to self-deception. Be careful of that. And so, and, and so it's interesting because as we go on here in this passage, he's not going to give us a checklist. He's going to give us a litmus test. And that's his point here. His point is, and because some of us will fall into legalistic things. As soon as I say, do this, do that. Okay, have I, am I, how am I doing? Am I, check, am I caring for orphans and widows? Am I uh, keeping a, right, quite rain, a, right tain, a tight rein on my tongue? You know, and we get into this checklist mentality. And that's not Christianity either. Because Jesus, it's about what Jesus has done for us. You know, somebody once said Christianity is, is not spelled D-O. It's spelled D-O-N-E. Have you ever heard that before? Some people, people think it's all about do's and don'ts, you know, being religious. No, it's about what Jesus has done for us. But here's the kicker, and this is what James' whole point is in his whole book. Once you receive what he's done for you, you want to go out and do things for other people. You want to obey his word. And the, the proof that you have faith that he's done it for you and you received it is you're doing it. But you don't do it to earn brownie points with God or with other people. So he goes to this mirror analogy, which is so powerful. And I want to ask you the question this morning, what is the mirror you are looking into when it comes to evaluating yourself? What's the mirror? Is it the mirror of what someone else is doing? You know, some of you are like, oh, well, you know, the pastor does the, uh, you know, the pastor should do that. I can't evangelize, you know, because that's something that pastors do, you know. Or I, I constantly compare myself to other people who are stronger and more mature in the faith. Doing that. I, can't, I don't have the gift of this. I don't have the gift of that. Don't, don't make the mirror of, uh, your mirror someone, what someone else is or someone else. Uh, the mirror that some popular author or celebrity places before us, and that's, that shouldn't be your mirror. The mirror that we've created for ourselves, oh, that's dangerous. Uh, someone once said that um, God created us in his image and we return the favor. <laughs> we, uh, we, we create him in our own image. If you want to know whether you've created God in your own image, ask yourself this, does he ever disagree with you? If, you, if your God that you believe in does not disagree with you, you probably have created him in your own image. That's dangerous. Okay? We're looking at the wrong thing. The mirror will always be flawed. It will always be the shattered funhouse mirror of our own fallen creation if we're creating our own mirrors. What James calls us to do is to look in the mirror of the gospel. It gives only a true picture of what we are. See, the law, the word of God, was meant in the Old Testament primarily to be a mirror to show us that we need a savior, okay? Now, there's a sense in if you ever get a chance, you know, a good application of today's message would be to take some time to meditate on Psalm 119, 119, because David just, it's one of the longest psalms, but it's beautiful. He talks about how wonderful God's word is and God's, God's law, and he just loves it. But the primary purpose of the law was to point us to Christ, okay? So when we look in the mirror to evaluate ourselves, we, first of all, we should look at God's word. But we shouldn't become like my dog, Coconut, who goes and hides under the couch, you know, because it's like, oh, I can never measure up. I can never measure up. Why? Because we have the gospel. What did Jesus do? Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it. 
So he, he lived a perfect life that you and I couldn't. So when you put your faith in Jesus, he becomes our mirror. Let me explain this. The mirror of God's word gives us a true picture of what we are. We are broken, sinful, and rebellious, unable to change ourselves, okay? Until you come to the point where you recognize that you, the most heinous sin that you've seen happen, that that sin, the seed of that sin is also in your heart, as in the same person that did that sin, you will never really understand and appreciate the truth of the gospel, okay? We are all broken and unable to change ourselves, and we have sin. But it also gives us a picture of what we've been declared to be in Christ. We've been declared to be righteous, loved, forgiven, and rescued by Jesus. So when you look into the mirror of God's word, it shouldn't be a constant condemning thing where you feel like, oh, I can never measure up. I can never live this out. It should be recognizing, wow, this is what Jesus has done for me. It's like that illustration of being hit by a bus. If I told you this morning I came here, you know, on my, on my way here, you know, uh, the reason why I was a little bit late this morning, couldn't get the tent set up over there. We have a nice little welcome tent over there. I uh, hope you guys will visit it. Actually, today it's just a welcome table. It's a virtual tent right now because there's no tent there because I was late. And the reason why I was late is because as I was coming here, I got hit by a bus. Man, it just like knocked me over. I was waiting, you know, I, I, coconut ran out of the car and I got hit by this bus. Now, if I'm standing here telling you that I got hit by a bus, would you believe it? No, I probably wouldn't be standing up here, okay? Because when you get hit by a bus, it alters fundamentally who you are <laughs> and your appearance, okay? The same is true with Jesus Christ. When you get hit by Jesus Christ's love and his forgiveness, it radically alters you. You guys remember the story of the woman who had the heart attack? And uh, during this time while she's uh, flatlining, uh, she meets God and she asks him, uh, will I die? And he says, no, you will live for another 40 years, two months and eight days. At this instance, she snapped back alive. After the heart attack, she decided to make the most of her life. She gets a facelift, a liposuction and a tummy tuck, even gets surgery uh, to change the color of her hair. After her final surgery, she walks out and gets hit by a car and dies. She goes up to heaven and meets God, and she's steaming. She's so angry. She's like, she's like what was that, she asked. God's like, what? You died. You said I would live for another 40 years. God thought for a while. He says, oh, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> when Jesus changes us, we don't manufacture the thing we're supposed to look like. We naturally reflect the one that created us for a relationship with him. And we reflect him by acting on what we've heard. Look at verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom... I hope you know the Bible is meant to give you freedom. Jesus came to give us freedom. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He says this, the, the, the per, the whoever looks into it, it, it that gives freedom looks intently into it and continues in it, perseveres, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You remember when Jesus... Um, uh, washed his disciples' feet, and he said, I've given this to do for you as an example. Serve others. But then he says this in verse 17. When you do these things, you will be blessed. It's in the doing that we get blessed. It's not in the knowing or the discussing or even the praying about. It's in the doing, when we start serving others, when we start obeying God's word. So then he gets into... Um, 
how we reveal Christ to the world. And, and this is so important. Let's look at verses 26 and 27. Um, because he's going he's gonna to explain to us um, here. It says this. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but, dece- but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The purpose of the word of God is to transform us. If we receive it, then we'll probably do it. When we do it, we begin to reveal to the world who Jesus is. And that's what he's saying here. Receive, respond, and now we reveal. And the reveal is a byproduct, okay? Let's look at this. What's he saying here? Well, verse 26, he could be saying one of two things. He could be saying, if you're talking, like in verse 22, you're all talk but no action, you're deceiving yourself, okay? Or he could be saying, you know, you walk around with a, with a, a tongue that's full of moral, you know, decadence, and you're constantly swearing, and you're constantly not controlling yourself, constantly judging other people or complaining or angry. Well, you know what? Then you're just deceiving yourself because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what your, what your tongue says is a reflection of your heart. And he's saying your religion is worthless. Okay? Now that word for religion is actually worship. It's another word for your, like your, your fear for God. It's not a bad word. I know sometimes we always say, you know, Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. Well, here he's saying, you know, he's basically saying your faith, your worship of God is worthless if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue. And again, he's saying, what he's saying in the earlier verses and throughout this book is he's saying, if you believe in Jesus and, and allow him to change you and you respond to him, he's going to change your tongue. It's going to happen over time. You know, some of you may not know this about me, but throughout high school, I had the worst tongue. I, in fact, in sixth grade, I was kicked out of school for telling dirty jokes. Seriously, seventh and eighth grade was really bad. High school got even worse when my mom died. You know why? Because I was angry. You know, you see somebody spouting things, it's usually because they're hurt. Behind most anger is hurt. And uh, I was going to church at that time. Now, I was not receiving God's word. You know, although I memorized it to go to Great America, Six Flags, I memorized verses, you know. I did all that stuff that kids do, you know, to get what they want. You know, had a girl once who said he always uses the Bible to get what he wants. (laughs) You know, we know how to do that, don't we? We We know how to play the word. But, you know, that's, that's where I was because I was hurting. And it wasn't until junior or senior year when I gave my heart to Christ that God began to change my heart. And over time, he began to change my tongue. You know, so the, the, the antidote to this is, oh, I'm not going to just, I'm going to go hard, I'm going to work harder at, you know, being slow to speak. No, work harder at going before the Lord and receiving from him and allowing him to change you. Practice what he tells you to do. Respond. And then you will reveal God's love and grace to other people. So then verse 27, here it is. All right. And I think we're uh, a little bit on the, oh, we're going good. We're going good. We can go for another hour or two. Okay. Um, last verse. I'm going to spend some time here. So don't get, don't get in the, what do they call it? The depart mode. Okay. Uh, in the Bible, you can find over 60 distinct times where the people of God are commanded to care for the orphans or the widows or the outsiders. Um, It began during the time of the Exodus when God commanded the Hebrew nation to take care of those sojourners that crossed their paths. 
It continued as God established laws and practices for exactly how they should be fed and housed. I got a whole bunch of verses here. Maybe we'll put them up during the week or I could send them to you in the quotes and notes. But the whole, you know, a lot of people say, well, the God of the Old Testament, he's so, you know, mean and wrathful. No, he's not. Um, it's the opposite. He commands us to reach out over and over again to those who are most vulnerable and those who are marginalized. And in those days, especially in the days of James, it was the orphans and the widows. Because the widows in that culture, you know, it was, it was more of a patriarchal society at that time, and they were very vulnerable financially, emotionally, and physically, and the orphans as well. And so the heart of God is for those people. Even Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. You know, that's an interesting phrase that he said, and he says he commands us to do that. Now, this verse is not a command. It's a reveal. He's saying, if you do these things, this is, this is what true religion is. All right, let me give you some of the words in here that he's going over. Pure and undefiled religion. That word pure is where we get catharsis from or from the catheter. The idea is cleansing. Uh, if your religion is cleansing, he says, if, 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 your, if your faith is going to clean up the world and, and, bring, and bring purity, it has to be this. And it's interesting, he says, before God and the Father. God is our Father. And he says to visit the fatherless. That word visit is, is a little bit kind of, uh, the word literally means to, to, to go after, to look after, to move towards, and to care for. So it's not like this idea where we go in you know, on a missions trip and we serve some orphans for a week and we say, wow, I did it. That's not the idea, no. This is, and this is why I'm telling you, this is a reveal. The heart of true religion and the heart of God is to do what Jesus did. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son. What does John 1 say? The word moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh. It's called incarnation. We don't do things for the community. We do things with them. That's the nature. You say, who would do that? That's why he says at the end of the verse, he says, don't be stained and polluted by the world. You know what the world says? The world says, isolate and insulate. Make your money, get your treasure, and then isolate yourself and insulate yourself from pain, from hurt, and from brokenness. That's what the world says, me first, me first. And the heart of God is to go into the darkest places and to love those who are hurting and who are broken. In one sense, we should see Christians out there lovingly ministering to these people who are pulling down the statues and are so angry and whatever. We should be ministering. We, should, we, shouldn't, be, we, shouldn't, have withdraw, we shouldn't withdraw and say, I'm just going to isolate and insulate. Why? Because that's the heart of God. God is after people. He, you know, the, the, the story of the Bible is God coming to redeem us, not us trying to, you know, reach out to God. We're, we don't want God. Nobody wants him on our own. Romans 3 says there's no one that does good. But the miracle of the gospel is that he's coming after us. So that, that changes everything. You know, and this is what the, the, first, the Christians in, um, in, in, in the first century were known for. I want to read you a quote. It's really cool. It's from second century philosopher Aristides. Aristides was not a Christian, not by a long shot, but he observed Christians in the early part of the second century. And this is what he wrote to Emperor Hadrian in 125 AD about the rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. He said, they love one another. 
these Christians, they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. There are found in their other writings things which are hard to utter and difficult for one to narrate, which are not only spoken in words, but also wrought out in deeds. In other words, Aristides says, I can't explain it. I'm not sure I can, I'm going to argue with it. But when people of faith take seriously what Jesus says about caring for others, it causes our society to notice. And there's the underlying motivation is the gospel. We love because we have been loved. We serve because we have been served. We humble ourselves because one greater than us humbled himself in his death on the cross. The reason most of us have never done anything is because we've seen the overwhelming global need rather than seeing the one that's right in front of us. That's so important. God will never touch your heart. Even a sermon won't touch your heart. It will for a couple days or a week. But you'll never allow God to get a hold of your heart until you receive his word and respond to it. But then really what has to happen is you need to see the need in front of you. The neighbor who's hurting. The lonely person who's out, out, outcast. And you need to see that person in the way that God sees them. Have the eyes of Jesus. What would it look like if you didn't just volunteer a couple of hours in the pregnancy support center, but we actually took a young pregnant mom into our family? What would it look like if we didn't do something to our community or even for our community, but with our community? What if we, uh, what, what would it look like if you refused to simply paint the wall, but you got to know the person whose wall you're painting? What if we incarnated ourselves into our community the way that Christ incarnated himself here on earth? How would that change our backyard? That's our challenge today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you've given us your word. We're not in the dark. You've revealed yourself in nature, but you've also revealed yourself in Jesus. And I thank you that he is our mirror. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to humbly accept your word, your truth in our life. Allow it to change us. God, I pray if there's anybody here that needs to get rid of some things, to unclog the drain, I pray, God, that you would let, give them the power and the strength and the community to do it. We can't do this alone, God. We never were meant to do it alone. There's some people here who need to let go of the coconut, get their hand out of it. It's only going to lead them down a bad path. And I pray, God, that you give them the strength to believe that you have something greater for them. Father, all of us confess being hearers and not doers at times. God, forgive us for that. Lord, I pray that we would, we don't need more information. We need transformation. We need you, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to do what you would have us do one step at a time. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that as we do these things, that you would change us and give us a heart for the needy. Give us a heart for those who are marginalized and hurt and broken, even if they're of a different race, a different color, even if they are doing things that make us so angry, God, I pray that we would have your love and your eyes and your passion. And I pray that we wouldn't just do things for them, but we would go and do things with them. 
I pray, God, if you're calling anybody here today to, uh, to a lifestyle of that, Lord, I pray that they would seek help because the evil one comes and snatches seeds really quick. And so I pray, God, that they would um, respond to your word and that you would give them the strength to live out your calling. And I pray that for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.